Hello everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Sai Krishna, the founder of superblog.ai. Superblog.ai is an enterprise alternative to WordPress with UI UX of Medium. We can also say that it's world's fastest blogging platform with auto SEO. He has also been a CTO of multiple other startups like digibooster.co, Spotplay, M Hotspot and 1BN Software Private Limited. Sai loves to build new and cool stuff and has built games and multiple other software technologies and it has reached to millions of people. Sai, welcome to the podcast and I'm excited to learn from you. Thanks for the warm welcome, Shristi. I'm looking yeah. to be curious about your podcast. The first question I have is like I looked into your LinkedIn profile and I found that you don't have the traditional career journey. I would say if I graduate from college and then we start looking for a job, but you started uh, your own company and uh, that was like a long time back. That time the startup world was not in that much boost. So what motivated you to start your own startup? Interesting question and probably the first question, I think, uh, in this format. Mm -hmm. As you have seen on my profile, so I built a software called mHotspot uh, yeah. when I was in my third year of college. And oh. uh, it was a massive hit. Millions of users like used mHotspot over the years. By the time I was already out of college, I already built like a dozen apps uh, and games. So uh, it did not make sense for me to go ahead and like you know, pursue a job where uh, I was already having millions of uh, user base and generating considerable revenues. So mm. I took a decision to just keep building and scale my revenues. So it was just that. And I didn't even know that it's called indie hacking much, much later. Oh, that's pretty cool. And being able to like build apps, which is reaching million of people uh, in your third year of college time is very interesting. So how did you get that interest like of building apps? And what was the story there in your college time? Okay, so very interesting uh, times back then. I'm a techie, uh, like computer science. I love computers like from my childhood. Like I love, love building new programs and I used to write uh, programs back in the day in college. Like it's like in, in probably 10, 15 minutes, I used to complete my lab assignment in the computer's lab and I just used to code something new. So yeah, it used to be like that. And in the third year, especially uh, mHotspot is something that actually came out of my own need, necessity, which I tend to apply the same concept across my career. So what happened was, in short, so I used to be an Android uh, enthusiast. So I got this new Android phone and I used to tinker with like OS and uh, uh, like new apps and like, uh, like you know, cross-porting different things. So there used to be a very popular, I mean, even now they're there, a very popular developer uh, site called XDA Developers. Like it's like the, the home for Android uh, uh, people. So it was Android 2.1 days. And uh, back in the days, Windows laptops, uh, did not have the hotspot feature infrastructure mode. They can only detect infrastructure mode Wi-Fi's, mm. not add up mm. mode. Windows mm. only had add up mode, uh, you know, to create a hotspot. So this was a huge issue in Android world back then. So I was already part of the forum, and when I got the phone, I did not have a Wi-Fi router in my home. Mm. So I, I was from a village. So it used to back in the days, Flipkart used to take probably a month to deliver stuff to my place. So it's interesting times, like how the tech and e-commerce industry, everything grew over the time. It's It was nice to watch everything. When I started Googling for like, you know, solutions, people were like, no, you cannot use basically uh, ad hoc mode for Android. 
one thing was we need to root the uh, android like os and then like you know uh, uh, install certain modules to do that which i did not want to root my phone uh, at that point of time because it was like brand new one month or so yeah so uh, that's when i started looking into windows internal apis and uh, basically i wrote few scripts that's it no user interface nothing and it started working so then i was talking to my friend my very good close friend uh, his name is vk so till today i still remember what he said so package into a software throw it into the internet probably one of the like uh, download sites uh, cnet.com or something like that what could happen at the worst so i'm like yeah why not so i built it into a software and i think you can find my post from 2011 also on xj developers now so i i shared it there and people loved it people wanted it then lot of other tech articles like you know started to come up explaining m hotspot so that's how it happened okay that's very interesting story and so you had the script and you used that script or did you build a ui for that as well so i i wrote the script basically so somehow that product sense was there in me like i can actually share the script with people like just mm-hmm. make them like you know Uh, install certain modules and then make them uh, go to the command prompt and then do stuff but then it's like it struck me that's not what an average user would like to do so yeah. then i wrote a gui for that and you know it took off oh that's that's so cool and then being able to think that you have created the script if you build an app for it i mean that's very interesting and that too like being in third year itself you have built such a huge uh, what do you say customer base that's very very interesting okay now i want to go to the next question uh, you have started multiple companies so i want to understand uh, from you what are the things that is required to start a company and keeping it running because you have started and you have led a lot of companies lot of products uh, yes companies a few okay ideology that i look forward to is building something people want and uh, if it is also building something you want then you get the best output because you enjoy what you are building in the process and it is a real problem that you are solving so essentially i think the great way to build a the best way to build a great company is to build a great product that's what i think yeah. so once you start focusing on that the other things will fall into place meaning uh, you know once you have the the great product uh, and the idea and the solution you attract great talent also uh, to work with you and yeah. uh, majority of your problems are solved there okay that makes sense and also like how do you determine i want to build this product there are like for my case when i think about products which i can build i have like lot of ideas but how do you okay. decide like i am going to spend next one year building this product or like uh, what's the process there it depends on which path you typically want to take so if you are building your idea like an indie hacker you want to build your idea like a large scale product and a company where you have a large team you know probably you raise funds or maybe you know you do a large business and be bootstrap so once you identify that path that you need to take there are no multiple frameworks for that okay so why i'm saying this is if you are looking to be an indie hacker you really don't need the entire validation of uh, you know building a unicorn okay hardly say you need 300 people paying you 29 dollars a month to be at 100k arr that's like what a million value valuation so for that you need to take a certain process but for a vc back thing you uh, un- unless you have like 1 million arr you generally we don't call call it a pmf 
for that kind of thing but uh, hitting 100 krr even in uh, vc backed startups is a good milestone but it depends on which path you take to do the validation process but one thing i believe in both of the uh, ways uh, there is one validation which i look at look at the data so there is publicly available google trends data and google keyword search or you know there are and another tools that helps you identify whether there is demand for this problem or not and how much of a demand the problem has so by looking at that you can clearly understand even before talking to people and you know running your campaigns to do the validation you have raw data i think that is a very good metric to start with okay this is very interesting and so i never thought of validation in terms of looking into like google trends and google keyword search and uh, yeah so this is nice and i i would use it too thank you for thank that you. so i want to like dive deep into superblog.ai because that's your latest kick i i want to start with tell me in your words what is superblog.ai yeah it's just the definition that you said i'll try to do a small pitch and then elaborate on yeah. that superblog is a blazing fast blogging platform with seo best practices built in you can yep. literally focus on writing content instead of building the blog stack uh, optimizing it and then monitoring it for performance in search engines namely google okay got it so how are customers gonna use it how do you sell superblog.ai so i don't do proactive sales or Uh, reach out or uh, ad campaigns however i at some point of time i do inbox dms trying to understand if people would want it till date not even one pitch was successful uh, everybody shot me down so that makes me understand i am very bad at selling so what i adopt right now for superblog is majorly seo and build in public these are the two uh, things that i proactively do to get inbound traffic to superblog okay and word of mouth has been amazing so i get lot of customers from my existing customers what does build in public mean so there is this trend among builders like you know where we share the journey of building a product including uh, revenues uh, failures and wins uh, and the strategies that we come across you know in building a successful product um, so okay yeah that's build in public that's interesting so i'm learning like already learning so many things from this <laughs> now can you discuss about the technical details like how you built superblog.ai so like there are a lot of components which you have to build right so yes. if you want to go through that so superblog is a a jamstack blogging platform that's what i like to highlight about superblog so you being a techie uh, and uh, i assume most of your listeners might be techies people are generally mm-hmm. aware of the the general internet right like the client server mm-hmm. model uh, meaning yeah. so today if you want to open any website right generally what happens is in wordpress 2 the client opens a url and then the server mm-hmm. gets the uh, request and it fetches data from db and then renders mm-hmm. it and sends back okay as you Correct. can see there are multiple steps in this whole process and there could be bottlenecks as you scale in terms of content and traffic mm-hmm. okay what superblog does is once you write content it will prebuild and prerender your entire content from database into simple html css and js files and then mm-hmm. it will be uh, stored across the uh, globe uh, in multiple cdns in multiple locations so that when the next time a user requests a url just the pre-rendered content is sent so mm-hmm. that's one of the best things about superblog is like it's uh, purely static and uh, infinitely scalable in that yeah so because of that there are like multiple components and places where i had to uh, like you know uh, rewrite so many things from ground up for the dashboard Uh, where people log in and write 
you know the blog posts and their content now, so for that i'm using uh, nextjs standard out of the box react and react framework and then a ui library called chakra so it just works okay but the front end blog which you see right once you have your blog you you read on that right so mm-hmm. for that i'm using svelte and the entire ui uh, framework is written by me like by hand uh, complete in css yes. why i chose svelte over react is uh, i i particularly love svelte and a big fan of rich harris i love his approach in react generally what happens is if you want to see a ui you are essentially uh, downloading the entire library as well yeah. unnecessarily you will be downloading like 50 to 60 kb react library to reconstruct mm-hmm. the dom which is really not necessary so what happens in svelte is you write the code in svelte framework svelte is essentially a compiler so okay. all the code that you write all the ui uh, the declarative ui you write is compiled into native html and js so that's what i love about right and that's the reason i'm using at least i would say a standard wordpress or any other library block page would be around a minimum of 3 mb for super blog it would be less than i mean i i did not do the benchmarks recently the last i checked it was like less than 100 kb that's amazing Thank because while well, i was working in amazon so i got the opportunity to work on the alexa app so there the major concern was the size so the main problem was we were using react as the like uh, framework the problem was that uh, uh, each screen uh, of the app the most important screen was uh, having their own libraries and everything it was like a separate full react app and then we used to combine it together so in the end like we had a lot of libraries which used to get loaded and that is the first step in react right so what used to happen is the app will open slowly and that used to become a problem then so we worked on it and like we moved partially to native and stuff so i can understand that uh, issue and it's interesting i never heard of swelt so i'll go check it out it's it looks interesting uh, you should you should yes yeah apart from this i heard like i think i read it somewhere in your when i was going through your profile that you have used serverless as well in superblog superblog.ai so do you want to talk about it or like there are multiple ways in which you can implement that paradigm or architecture okay mm-hmm. so i chose jamstack which i explained okay. in detail uh, earlier yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, correct, correct. there are multiple approaches to that like you know just pure lambdas or containers uh you know or forget tasks uh, so different uh, ways to use i used jamstack uh, okay okay so, so essentially customers don't need to worry about scaling their blog yeah so and i also wanted to discuss about the investment part i think you have completely bootstrapped your blog.ai yourself and now now it's actually making good revenue as well so like uh, how did you decide that you don't want to go into the investment route okay thank you so just a small heads up i took some investment from adobe like just recently but um, until that point of time uh, i'm completely bootstrapped it was majorly a strategic decision with a brand like adobe behind superblog it will be a lot of trust to my new customers as well as my existing customers because yep. they put a lot of trust into superblog in the early stages and they brought in their entire content and their google indexing and their url structure like basically their authority they handed it to superblog so it brings a lot of trust to the ecosystem so that's one thing but yeah my the thought process and the logic remains the same for superblog i so this is my first b2b saas so i built lot of b2c products and a few companies but uh, a pure b2b saas is first time uh, for me with superblog so i 
took it like a you know like a challenge like i should be able to single handedly scale it from 0 to 100 krr so it was more on a, a personal note and uh, secondly it's about probability um, so uh, I, i made a conscious decision there like instead of raising a vc round and you know again like growing like too quickly without unity mm-hmm. economics and uh, uh, you know like chasing multiple rounds and then uh, doing an exit uh, or a period of you know uh, like 5 to 8 years for uh, x valuation and the probability goes down right so the number of uh, startups at the initial stage to you know the number of startups exited at 10 million versus 100 million versus a billion uh, is like drastically low and uh, even if the startup uh, exits at an astronomical number the founders get to walk away with a lot less because of the equity structure and you know uh, liquidity preferences so i'm like okay why why should i not uh, be an indie hacker and build a b2b saas Hmm. choosing the extremely hard route uh, putting the game on thing it off i thought it was fun and challenging so that's why that's why i did that and also like uh, again i read it somewhere in your like journey that you are a solopreneur that's pretty interesting so do you want to talk about it so i tend to build products single handedly uh, like do everything completely code design product uh, testing and uh, marketing uh, so that's what i've been doing for so long So, and now it's a it's a very good uh, phenomenon like so many people are doing this and it's a very good progress i would say for generally okay obviously solopreneurship is having a lot of responsibilities but like how do you manage your time and maybe like let's assume for my case i am engineer so i can handle all the engineering stuff but apart from that also there are like lot of things which uh, one need to handle so how do you manage your time and how do you dis- distribute the roles so yeah maybe we can yeah. talk about that yeah sure so th- this is one common question i usually get so i would say lot of it is basically my experience because i built so many products over time and scaled them to millions of user base right so i have learned some knowledge and experience so that is helping me a lot apart from that how i gained this experience over time is basically being very strict and brutal about the tasks and activities that i do and uh, time boxing everything basically so i would really think a lot before i start any activity so so every decision is basically bound to time and uh, i i make it a point that if i'm actually doing this what is the roi if i'm actually uh, wanting to uh, start a new feature uh, feature to like to push to the prod Uh, i would think in say you know for example will this feature bring me new revenue or like will this feature increase the revenue from existing customers or will this particular task will save me time so i put through this framework uh, every activity that i do uh, and it has been incredibly helpful uh, to manage like everything okay so one other question uh, sure. so it related to investment itself if you have not you don't have any investment so for a person who has a job like we rely on the job money for a lot of things in our life right sure uh, yes yeah there are a lot of dependencies but when you start a startup and initially obviously it won't be making money so how do you uh, like manage that time frame when when you are actually building the product and it's not making money so that uh, that phase like how do you go through that for me i chose to tap into my savings so mm-hmm. i have a very clear path planned out not just for superblock for other ventures that i did also like the timelines is very important i agree everything is like not in our hands we cannot be so controlling but we cannot go in without a plan 
so i had set timelines and milestones for myself you know where i should be at what point of time to hit the revenues so that the first goal is basically to survive so doing that help me generally i would say people to account for this thing you know like you need to have certain savings when you're especially jumping into uh, building startups without funds it is definitely uh, necessary that makes a lot of sense so yeah good yeah. but there are uh, other ways also like you know for people to explore uh, startups and building stuff say if you want to be a founder and actually want to build a large product so you can uh, apply for startup programs um, accelerators founder uh, support mm-hmm. programs where they literally pay you stipend you know to work on your own idea and find a co-founder and you know antler has that ff has that ef has, has that so people can look at that they don't need to essentially take the hard route Okay, that makes sense. So, like, how do you get enrolled into those accelerator programs? Like, if you have any insights on that. Generally, uh, there will be programs all around the year. So, it would be a standard uh, application and interview like rounds uh, process. Mm-hmm. You go through certain rounds and talk to uh, the, the the team of them. And if you make it, yeah, you are into the program. Okay, got it. So now. coming back to like superblog.ai what was the process for superblog.ai like you started from zero investment to now you're earning like from one of your linkedin post i figured that you're earning 100000 arr so i oh, no I no would... no <laughs> yeah sorry 100k not yet it's at 50k arr uh, 53 probably now uh, okay. so the goal is to hit 100k okay the goal is to hit 100k yeah, yeah so yeah but still uh, like you're making 50 50k arr in that case so yeah tell me first explain me like what arr arr means because like i'm a newbie especially in the financial world so it would be good for me and then you can tell me about your journey as well so arr is basically uh, annual recurring revenue or annual run rate mm-hmm. so in saas subscriptions uh we generally use this terms you know monthly recurring revenue because we know right so if we are subscribing to a service we'll be paying x amount every month or every year year um so so the term is basically your entire projected revenue at any point of time so today if you have say you know like 10 customers paying you 10 dollars every month you are at 100 dollar mrr into 12 is basically 1200 mrr it's it's a metric what uh, saas companies typically use both b2b and b2c got it and like uh, what about how you like grew superblog.ai to like 53k arr um, yeah so it's journey. been incredibly hard there are so many products which did this in a much shorter time but uh, mine is a completely different journey for one i am like a one person startup and uh, i i don't have a team so i i don't i would i don't want to showcase it like a, a excuse but there are like amazing people who did that you know being solo also uh, but yeah this is me like i did not had any uh, audience or network so i started like that and then yeah it, it took me almost a year to hit 500 mrr so that's like 6000 uh, arr and after that the milestones uh, started uh, getting hit in a lower period of time right? so that's how compounding works if you want to know anything precisely like i want to understand like first year was i think where you started and then slowly it started growing i want to understand like 
what steps did you take to get the investments let's assume like the, your first subscription and then the second subscription and how it started growing so this is common anonymous for every startup that's what i like to think identifying your customers like ideal customer profiling is the single major activity that any startup should do when you are like growing say for example when you are at say zero even at zero you should understand like what is your icp that will pay for your product not use your product that will pay for your product so that was something i did some mistakes in the initial like the zero to you know 500 journey like in the first year so my idea of icp was uh, i mean i was looking at a different customer persona slowly over time you know i understood you know how to refine who will pay for my product okay and then how to price the product so i changed pricing over the years and now i'm comfortable at a place where i think my icp will pay me this amount of money so this is something uh, the founders need to keep experimenting as fast as possible which is a mistake i did like i took so long to do that experiment and like you know uh, validate and uh, iterate the like iterate the changes that is very important insight people who are starting their journey if they listen to this podcast and then figure out we should do the ideal customer profiling and then like understand what would be the right pricing strategy it's a very good insight sure. to get like your first 500 customers let's assume okay so i also want to understand like so you mentioned that uh, superblog.ai supports auto seo so first i want to understand what is seo like search engine optimization that's the term but i want to understand like what do you do to make it auto seo so generally i tell this example so there are over a billion pages on internet and uh, why should google show your website you know when somebody searches for a query so basically if you answer that so that is seo okay meaning so you match the query with users intent with your content and there are multiple parts to seo okay it's not just writing relevant content so seo predominantly consists of five pillars as i would say number one would be content uh, write amazingly uh, qualitative content and frequent content uh, second it will be technical seo and then on page seo and then speed speed is a major factor in seo you know because it essentially translates into ux mm-hmm. and rx especially for blogs and then you have this backlinks backlinks is something when some some other web entity points to your url and it mm-hmm. depends on how popular the pointing entity is so that's what we typically say like you know you need to get uh, high quality backlinks and all but but the importance of backlinks is way overblown usually that's why you see a lot of uh, agencies slash individuals freelancers selling backlinks which generally doesn't work but just people think that okay if i have 10000 backlinks i'll get good seo but no it doesn't work like that as you saw there are like multiple pillars to seo and uh, what is auto seo so far people need to manually optimize on work on each of these aspects which i mm-hmm. just mentioned what superblog does at this point of time is it will optimize your technical seo on page seo and uh, speed i recently pushed a module where it's in closed beta i'm i'm referring to it as a helper not a writer just a helper meaning uh, today if you start searching with say a topic that you want to rank for or a keyword that you rank for superblog will take that 
and then use custom and proprietary APIs to throw you a post title, headline, subheadlines, basically a structure of a good SEO content that you need to expand. Okay. So the goal is basically to go to a point, you know, where actually uh, Superblog will suggest you complete database actions. Say, for example, today you come up with, say, hey, this is my website, example.com. How can I rank for it? So Superblog will take the domain, read the uh, contents of the website, and then understands what it needs to do. And it will show you options. Hey, why don't you pick any of this content and start writing for it? That's pretty cool again. That means you give suggestions to your customers that if you write blog for this, it will get ranked better in yes. Google search. Yes. Oh, that's very nice. So I also want to understand a bit more on the technical SEO and on-page SEO part. What exactly does that mean in layman terms? So think of technical SEO like a manifest.json that we typically use, right? Uh, to, okay. to tell the structure of the project what components are there in the project okay same thing for technical seo also so you need to have your site structure that is crawlable by google you need to have your site maps all your robots.txt and canonical urls your url structure so yeah even your https ssl certificates all the indexability of the page so everything they come under technical seo on page seo is basically so search engines look for certain aspects in a page so that they can understand the context of the content on the page to the user search intent. Say, for example, you know you need to have one H1 on the page, like uh, two H2s, a minimum of three H3s. You need to have images placed in it. You, have, you need to have video placed in it. Even the font uh, sizes, the spacing, the layout structure, everything is, is part of on SEO. That's Essentially, Google's SEO algorithm looks at almost like 200 different parameters you know, to uh, rank your page. Technical SEO also consists of uh, Google Lighthouse audits, meaning like you know how fast your page, not just your page is loading, but what is the time to interaction for the page? How long does it take to draw the largest element on the page? So these are all also part of SEO, uh, which many people ignore. Okay, got it. I learned so many things from this. So thank you. So you have like multiple customers, right? So it's kind yes. of multi-tenancy, if I'm understanding co correctly. How do you attain it? And it should be scalable because whenever a new customer comes, it should not like you should not have like effort involved in like onboarding that new customer. So how do you attain that multi-tenancy? I'm using a combination of AWS, Rackspace, GCP, and uh, Netlify and Cloudflare, all different components <laughs> to separate different entities, like, you know, basically isolate uh, each customer, their own, you know, custom domain, their own SSL, TLS, mm. all these things. I'm, I'm using that to achieve this. Okay, got it. So many multiple technologies, AWS, <laughs> Cloudflare, Google, Google Cloud, everything. Nice. Yeah, I'm just recently look at, even looking at Cloudflare's R2. So I'm using AWS S3 right now for so, you know, for the image storage, I'm looking at Cloudflare's R2 also. So that would be a new addition to the stack. So shortly. nice. I'll check out about Cloudflare R2. Uh, like I don't have like much context right now. Sure. <laughs> sure. So yeah. the biggest thing is uh, it's kind of amazing. So for okay. S3, usually we need to play uh, so pay for uh, ingress and egress and the storage. Cloudflare, okay. like they do usually the crazy guys, they're only charging for storage, no egress fees. Oh, oh nice. Nice. So it's nice to check. Like, 
I mean, obviously, then price reduces just to storage, which is interesting. So now I want to come to Spotplay. And one interesting thing which I found there is like you have a patent. So I want to understand how did you patent for the new CDN art architecture which uh, you created? Yes. So how did you know that this art architecture is patentable? And then what was the process of applying for a patent and then getting the patent as well? So quickly uh, to correct that, we did not get the patent. We applied for it. So the number you see is the application number okay. on the LinkedIn. We did not pursue it mainly because of financial reasons. Like we had to hire a US uh, attorney and uh, like, you know, file it. I mean, like okay. first draft it and then mm -hmm. file it. And then uh, we got objections, like generally, usually like, we get that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think we cleared the first round. Then we had the second round. Uh, that's when, you know, we thought like we spent already too much and then we, we stopped. But still, like you have come to the point, like at least that you have created the patent and then you went through a few yeah. rounds as well. So, yeah. Like I would like so to just to give a small context about what spot play is like many of us might have experienced this in international flights, like we connect to the Wi-Fi and then from our phone uh, laptop and then we can stream music, movies, content to the Wi-Fi. But the thing is, it doesn't require any Internet. All the Sorry. streaming is happening locally. So this is what we call us in general terms, local media server. OK. <laughs> So we wanted to bring the same technology to buses and cabs uh, in India, essentially. So my CEO and, uh, and I, like, we started working on this in uh, 2015, December, 16 Jan, around that. And uh, so I quickly made a prototype like in 30 days, and we presented the technology in a Pune Auto Nebula conference. And I think we got the third prize in that. So that was like the first uh, you know, belief that you know, uh, we, we are creating something new. So from there to patent, it's a very interesting journey. Uh, it will kind of like you know match with the earlier concepts we spoke about uh, embedded device and the hardware limitations. So like any, so I had zero knowledge in hardware prior to this. Okay, I was a purely software guy. So like any other hacker, uh, tinkerer, I started with Raspberry Pi. Take a Raspberry Pi, install a Linux uh, kernel, then connect a Wi-Fi router to it, set up the media server, and then you know, then I wrote an Android app which reads uh, connects to the server and you know pulls the data from the hard disk connected to the Raspberry Pi. So there were like three components: Raspberry Pi, hard disk, and the router. So Raspberry Pi had like one GB of RAM or two GB of RAM, I think. Uh, we had uh, Raspberry Pi two and three versions. I don't exactly remember the config now. One GB, two GB RAM. But the problem is uh, we need to fix this device in the buses. So when we are doing pilots, the problem we faced is the bus and the roads in India back then, you know, like they used to move and, you know, it was a lot of movable yeah. components and the devices used to disconnect or like, you know, fail or all that. So my CEO gave me a challenge, like fix this, like, you know, we need to condense the technology and all. So then I started exploring more on this, uh, different ports like Raspberry Pi to like basically reduce the size of the entire, you know, uh, device to Orange Pi, Banana Pi, then I landed up on a off-the-shelf uh, Taiwanese board. It's not Qualcomm. It is uh, Ethereum or uh, Ethereum, I think, basically. So they had a chip. It's a very small chip. You might have seen the photo on the uh, my website also, right? Spotlight device. Yeah. It, it essentially fits into your pocket in your palm. Yeah. So what happened was the device had 32 MB of RAM, and onboard storage was 4 MB. Okay. So I took the basic core uh, Linux kernel uh, and it was like 
3.9 MB. So I had 100 KB to fit in fit in the Spotlay uh, app modules, the UI, everything. So uh, okay, so one small problem was so back in 2015, 16, right? We didn't have internet actually. Uh, we didn't had 3, uh, 4G or 3G extensive coverage. Yeah. It was super expensive. So earlier we were deploying the Raspberry Pi devices and then asking passengers to download the uh, app from Play Store and uh, making people download an app just for that leg of journey was a bit tough. We, we were losing out uh, custom, potential customers and drop-offs. So I wrote a web app with jQuery mobile, which goes into the device itself. Okay. So when I came to this new device, which is essentially a low power device, but I was looking at, uh, you know, like 30 to 40 seater buses, meaning simultaneously 25, uh, at least uh, 25 con concurrent streams of HD video. So uh, that's when, because the device was just failing, you know, the it, we're getting out of memory exceptions, you know, the processing, the compute was yeah. too high. Um, so then I went like really to the base level and uh, rewrote the entire, the operating system for the Spotlight part on top of Linux kernel. Like I burned the uh, like stripped down version of jQuery mobile into that. And then you have a lot of business logic as well, right? Different modules. Say, for example, if you deploy the device into a bus, we need to have a local DNS server because we cannot tell people to connect to the Wi-Fi and then enter 127.0.0.1 or local host. Yeah. We can't really tell that port numbers. So people just used to enter s.com. And so basically I wrote a, I mean, like, it's an off-the-shelf library, but on top of that, you know, uh, a custom module where uh, you just write s.com and, you know, it internally redirects. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the local host is actually rendered there so because there was no internet access to customers. But our device had internet access because we need to keep checking the subscription and the payments and update the metadata of the content. So with this many limitations, I wrote a like a small mini CDN in the device itself within the bus. Like what you actually see the large scale CDNs in the data centers, right? So in the end, it turned out a 4 MB device with 30 MB of RAM was able to stream 25 concurrent HD video streamings uh, up to 25. So yeah, uh, then my CEO and my investor back then were like, so this is patentable, like this is amazing. So we should just file for a patent and see. That's how we applied for the patent. Yeah, but this is like being able to build, like you yeah, have built the internal CDN, you played with the operating system, created your own operating system. Like this is like too good. Like. Uh, like I, I would also like to experience such, like being able Thank to you. build such a thing. Yeah, because and interestingly, when you are talking about that, uh, the Alex, the one which who need not to be named because you have a device there, uh, the devices. So I started with jQuery Mobile. Okay, what happened was we went to Startup Chile. There, when we met the largest bus provider in Chile to show the technology to them to deploy into their buses, I was doing the demo and it failed. <laughs> Oh. Uh, so then I, I didn't understand, like, because it was for a year, year and a half, it was super stable in India. It, it didn't like strike to me that internationalization, I-18N. Yeah. Uh, so I never worked on that before. So Spanish characters, right? jQuery mobile was just failing. So we need to install uh, another plugin for jQuery mobile to handle that rendering, uh, the URL structure and processing. So the problem came to be to install that plugin, I didn't have space left on the device. Mm -hmm. So from jQuery mobile, uh, so then I was just exploring React at the point of time. So I wanted to write native HTML, but the thing is I literally started learning web to build that web app for Spotlight. 
mm-hmm. I was an Android developer and .NET Windows and uh, Unity game developer basically. So I had okay. no knowledge in building web uh, apps. So so instead of going with that, I loved the React's declarative way of writing uh, user interfaces, and mm-hmm. JSX I loved it. So uh, jQuery Mobile was, if I'm not wrong, it was around one uh, MB versus React probably like you know with the ui and all like probably 100 to 150 kb so there for the three days i did a hackathon and so my ceo was like why are you changing the stable uh, like you know uh, the ui and the entire web app now so i switched to uh, react to basically to save the space and account for the iat name and uh, it worked out but at the same time when i was doing this research right then i came to know this one was in 2018 probably 18 in the around that i think svelte was already uh, it's, it was not in production, but Rich Harris built it for a different purpose for uh, New York Times, I think. So one payment provider uh, in South America, they had a, you, you see that payment devices, right? Like where we tap the card on the device. Right. So hmm. they had the similar problem and they used Svelte there. So my knowledge of Svelte came from that whole research episode, which I used in Superblog. That's nice. Obviously, like the learning experience which you get anywhere in in your career journey, it's very, I mean, once you learn it, then it gets forwarded and you use in your Absolutely. in future. Yeah. Yeah. I also have similar experiences with technologies. And Amazing. so for me, for me, I am a huge AWS, like NGCP fan, basically cloud fan because they help you build stuff in minutes and you don't have Absolutely. to yeah yes. worry about all the how to like manage the servers and whatnot so many things right it's so, a beautiful thing i personally saw back in the days if you wanted to have a business system we need to physically purchase the server install mm-hmm. the modules and then ship it to the data center you know uh, go to go into the rack but today an indie hacker like literally one person can have like global access to global scale with the cloud so i, I love that yeah. fact recently like i was exploring and I, I want to write my personal blog so i thought like whatever i learn for that i was i wanted to build like an end-to-end like tiny url it's a simple app but for that sure. also being able to build it in hours time frame is a big big deal i mean if you compare it to like if you have to manage your servers and everything. I use the serverless technology there. Like I use the serverless framework, basically. That's how like I got introduced to it. And it, it's very interesting. It's very nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we are coming towards the end of the podcast. And I want to ask a few personal questions. I like to ask this to uh, like all my guests. So sure. my question to you is, tell me about few people in the tech world who, who you admire the most. Yeah. Um, okay. Immediately on top of my mind, I have the same names what other people also usually have. I personally take a lot of inspiration from Steve Jobs and Wozniak mm-hmm. and Elon Musk. So apart from them, usually uh, I'm a big fan of other thinkers and builders. So I like Charles's way of uh, doing things usually, like coming back to first mm-hmm. principles and like reinventing an entire framework with Charis. And I like Tim Urban. So his thinking is like, very amazing. So yeah, some of the names, yes. And also like, what was your most defining moment in your life, like from start to uh, right now? I would say uh, there was this one time when you know, M Hotspot it launched and uh, it started receiving rave reviews everywhere, mm-hmm. got like multiple awards and all that. 
so user base and all but this particular one incident uh, so it was in 2012 or 13 so there is this uh, cnet.com like the tech reviews mm-hmm. and all this site right mm-hmm. so they had a download section back then so every year they compile a list of the most downloaded most useful most top, uh, reviewed like combination of all those and then they compile a list at the end of like every year so and hotspot was featured there along with uh, adobe photoshop google chrome oh. firefox filezilla so i'm like that was like a surreal moment for me that uh, you know like my basically a, a teenage guy like built a software and it was there along, among them right so it gave me a lot of confidence so i'm i'm usually a little bit more shy and you know uh, not so confident kind of guy but uh, after that i i understood that it's not with your age or which background you're from or like where you are like we can build great software from anywhere and that gave me a confidence basically yeah so same here like i'm also not very confident person and uh, like i struggle with i like at times there are phases where i'm like i'm not good at all and all those weird thoughts comes in and then like slowly i get out of it this was a defining moment for you your app got featured in a website uh, and that gave you a lot of confidence. But apart from that, like what practices do you follow to remain confident and like in your <laughs> world? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So even today I face that uh, fear. I still have that fear uh, that I'm not uh, like an up to the mark or good enough. When I see uh, the most recently I felt was I was looking at two startups and mm-hmm. after looking at them, I'm like, damn, I need to learn a lot more. Like, I'm not even like 1% of what uh, their CTOs are at. So I get that constantly. Uh, but one thing is to approach every problem individually and say, for example, if I'm building Superblog, right, I have the mm-hmm. skill set required for it. And if not, one one important factor that you know feeds into my confidence is I can learn quickly. So I look yeah. at the documentation, I read about it, and then I I'm able to build that. So probably that is something uh, that helps me a lot. That's a good thing. So for me, I I started following this uh, and it works for me. Whatever work I have, I don't overthink about it and I just finish it, like focus on like getting it done. That helps me. Yeah. So I think it's similar uh, as you mentioned. Okay. We have reached to the end of our podcast, but before you leave, I want to know if you have any suggestions for the young generation like who are either in college or they are just going to start their career if you have anything which you want to tell them not as an advisor or anything because i don't think i'm in that position yet to advise people especially next generation but generally sometimes i get linkedin dms and twitter dms you know like people who are starting up i mean like the, starting the career and all that so one thing i commonly usually tell is it is the best thing that people can start experimenting in college itself right so because we don't need to worry about runway burn kind of big problems and yeah. uh, by the time we are out of the college we would have either succeeded or failed we have essentially we have a launch pad so start early as possible but the, but at the same time not at the cost of your small little, little fun enjoyments like do that and this both okay that makes sense yeah college time is like one of the best places to do experiment and also enjoy make friends and Absolutely. like strong bonding yeah so this comes to an end of our podcast and i really really want to thank you sai krishna for joining me in this conversation uh, thank you so much Tristy. i enjoyed the conversation especially i think this is like the most deepest tech i have discussed uh, so far so thank you 
so i hope the listeners also gain so much this is like one hour of good uh, information which people can listen to and learn from sure thank you cool thank you thank you so much uh,